0: You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, Season 2, Episode 10, the end of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. Crowley, the end of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. I cannot believe what we are calling this one. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast to follow all the socials, Fly the W670, Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook. Of course, you can email us fly the w670 at gmail.com i'm dustin rhodes executive producer of the mullion haw show Five thirty to 10 on 670 the score of course your radio home for cubs baseball and as always i am joined by my buddy crowley crowley afternoon on this thursday
1: yeah it's it's been an exciting week we got a lot to talk about uh jim Bowden, how about him how about him dropping that bomb It's, it's I thought it was interesting. I thought it was funny. I thought it was worth talking about. <laughs> Absolutely, no. That's uh,
0: good. Good talkability. Um, very interesting. You and I were texting about it and had thoughts uh, on our text stream that the uh, that the subscribers and listeners of this podcast can't uh, can't have access to. But now they've got access because they've got both of us here. Let's uh, first, Crowley. Let's introduce what the plan is, and then let's uh, let's uh, attack it, digest it, and spit it back out.
1: Yeah, so, you know, Jim Bowden, he's a co-host of Sirius XM's Inside Pitch on MLB Network Radio, if you listen to that. He's a columnist for The Athletic, and he wrote an article that was pretty shocking. Um, but there is no question that Major League Baseball plans to expand from 30 teams to 32. This has been going on a while, and there's been a whole bunch, you know, whether talking about whether you're going to do it internationally or, or locate them in the U.S., who knows? The question is, which cities will be given franchises And with the addition of two teams, is this an opportunity for radical realignment of the league? Now, Dustin, you know, MLB has been around for about 150 years. The NL formed in 1876, the AL in 1901. They start playing the World Series in 1903. But from 1900 to 1968, you and I being National League guys, Dustin, Um, there were just eight teams, right, from 1900 until 1962 when the Mets and the Houston Colts later the Astros become NL teams. And then in 1969, they added the Padres and Expos. Once you had 12 teams, the division was split into two, the National League East and the National League West. So for those of you Cub fans old enough to remember, the Cubs, when they won the division title in 1984 and 1989, they were champions of the NL, NL East. East. Yes. East, yes. yes. And so the Rockies and Marlins joined the NL in 1994. The league was again reorganized into three geographical divisions, East, West, and Central, which is what we have today. The Cubs won the NL Central in 2003, 7, 8, 2016, 2017, and one last time in 2020 in that crazy 60-game COVID season. So, you know, there's always been changes. But, you know, now, now comes this question about the expansion. And some of the cities in the running would be Nashville, Charlotte, Portland, Las Vegas, and Montreal. Those are teams that have been kicked around. Obviously, the Expos used to be in the National League. Um, but Bowden says, when the NL finally does expand to thirty two teams, in because of you know you now have the DH, you now have interleague play constantly, that it's an opportunity to do uh, rearrange things geographically, right? And so getting rid of what we currently have, which is the three divisions, the NL, East, West, and Central, and the AL East and West and Central. And rather than do that, similar to basketball, do away with the AL and NL and have the Eastern and Western Conference. And that would consist of four geographically aligned divisions apiece. So you'd have four teams per division, 16 teams per conference. Okay. Now, in this kind of what he was talking about, he's going to assume Charlotte and Nashville. Are going to be the winners of the expansion cities. So he's including Charlotte and Nashville in this, and both of them are going to be in the Eastern Conference. And he said, "Hey, you know, the A's. We don't know what they're going to do. That stadium situation's messed up. Maybe they stay in Oakland. Maybe they're in Las Vegas. But either way, it's not going to affect anything." So Bowden says, "Okay, maintain the 12-team postseason field with six clubs from each conference, the four division winners, and two wild card berths." Um, you know, just like it was last year. And so without further ado, Dustin, we're going to take a look at this really quick here. We're going to start first in the East. Now, the the very first division he throws out here, the, uh, the Western Conference, uh, the Eastern Conference, the East division, get this lineup. The Boston Red Sox, the New York Mets, the New York Yankees, and the Philadelphia Phillies. That is one heck of a division to be in. No, thank you.
0: No, thank you.
1: (laughs) You know, you got big spending teams. You have two traditional rivalries in Boston versus the Yankees and the Mets and Phillies. And again, geographically, very close to each other. And, And I think one of the things to keep in mind that in this exercise, Dustin, is the fact that all 30 teams are going to play each other this year. So you're not having the massive load of playing division like you used to in the past right? So you're going to cut right. down on the amount of, of time you're in the division. But that to me is crazy. Now the North has the Reds, the Guardians. So both teams from Ohio, the Tigers and the Blue Jays. So again, this is all geographic. So that's kind of an interesting division. The Mid-Atlantic, I mean, Jesus, who, who would want to, who would, you know, this is the division you want to be in here. The Orioles, Charlotte, which would be an expansion team, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Washington Nationals. So you just got this powerhouse in the East, and the Mid-Atlantic's like, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I've already got issues.
1: And then you look at the Southeast, and you have the Braves, Marlins, Nashville, and the Rays. So, you know, Atlanta, obviously, a great team, spends a lot of money, but then those other teams, an expansion team, the Marlins and the Rays, Rays are a good team, but they don't really spend, you know what I mean? And so we've got the two brand-new
0: teams playing in the East, which also makes the East a little bit easier. And then that Southeast is easy. That Mid-Atlantic is easy. The East is way too hard. Um, it, Crowley, I know you're the wrong person to ask this question to, but does baseball really need this kind of a shakeup to get fans re-engaged or to fire people up or to get new fans involved?
1: I mean, I don't think so, but but it's 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 something that you're taking a look at is is geographically if you're spacing this out. I, I kind of get what he's saying is cutting down on travel expenses, cutting down on the amount of travel that these guys have to do. You know, so are these the-
0: teams are the are the east. Is the east never going to play the west?
1: No, I think all teams are going to play. I believe all teams are going to play each other. All teams are going to play each other. Yeah.
0: Well, again, I mean, give me a break with the travel. I mean, come on, these guys don't sit middle seat on
1: Southwest. Okay. Uh, Frank Schwindel did, right? (laughs) Don't forget that. But I would, I would say, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I'm just looking at this and, and all of a sudden, you know, when you take a look at how it's aligned, it does make sense, like geographically speaking.
0: Sure, I mean maybe maybe you pull the Blue Jay. Maybe you would swap the Phillies and Blue Jays, just nope. to maybe maybe balance the power a little bit, right? Maybe that would be one that you could look at really quick. Um, that you could that you could change up just a little bit, and maybe maybe you move. I don't know if that works either. You can't have two expansion teams in the same division. I was trying to think of how to how to. Toughen up that Mid-Atlantic, but obviously the Southeast, you have to have the Marlins and the Rays.
1: But Dustin, I think, uh, you know, here, there is a separate side issue here. So in, in theory, this looks great. The problem is, is you don't have a minimum that teams are expected to spend. You get what I'm saying? Right. So you have a cap. You have a luxury cap. You can't go over it or else you get all these penalties, but there's no floor. And that's the problem, Dustin, is that you have owners, Steve Cohen, Dustin, I heard was taking out a Super Bowl ad. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> to when
0: advertise you, the Mets? <laughs> I, I'm just telling
1: you, when, when you're looking at this and you got a guy like Steve Cohen, who they're already talking about uh, Shohei Otani going to the Mets. Right. And then you got teams like the Marlins who never have spent money. The Rays who've never have spent money. I mean, you know, you can't you can't keep doing this. The, the competitive balance there, there ha- if you're if you're going to sit there and say, OK, there's a luxury tax. And if you go over this then there has to be a, a floor tax, you can't constantly have no payroll and just kind of, you know, take, you know, take off the revenue sharing. Right. Like like what, what is the Pirates owner? What's his name? What has he done? He's probably the most hated man in Pittsburgh. He has taken a team that was once one of the proud franchises of the National League and turned it into a joke, an absolute joke, and and, and there's no consequence for it. So why why should Steve Cohen have to feel bad about spending money? The people that we really should be shaming are the guys that are not spending money, And I'm never going to feel sorry for the owners until they open the books. Show me all these losses that you're taking, and then I'll be able to understand why you can't do what you say you can't do. But I'm sorry, man, that that, 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 the the problem with baseball, alignment, not alignment, this idea works with the understanding that there's a minimum floor. It doesn't work if you're going to have a team like that with with Miami not spending any money, with the Pirates not spending any money. Then it doesn't work.
0: No, it wouldn't work, and a floor would definitely be – Absolutely, positively necessary. Um, okay, so let, let's get to the good stuff, Crowley. Let, let's get to where our favorite team is. There we go. Now we're cooking with gas. Well, let's well, talk about this. Well, we'll let's start with the we'll this. start with
1: the West, and we'll move. Towards okay. the Midwest. We'll start with the West, okay? Because <laughs> uh, I know people are excited. Uh, again, this makes sense. The, the Diamondbacks, the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Now, obviously, a, a pretty stacked division. Well, I mean, not that bad. You still have those teams, the Dodgers and the Padres, but you lose that one of the, the traditional rivalry with the Dodgers and the uh, Giants. But, again, it's been the Padres and Dodgers the last few years. You would then have the Pacific Coast, which would include the Rockies, the Athletics, which are either going to be in Oakland or L.A., the Mariners and the Giants. So, again, geographically makes sense, and I think that that would be a good rivalry to, you know, the Giants versus the A's. Was that 1989? Yes. The, the world, the, the battle the of the bay? The,
0: the, sh- the shake at the stick, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was, God, I'll never forget that.
0: I don't, I don't know about the Rockies, though, being on the Pacific Coast.
1: You're just kind of trying to figure out where exactly it would be. It's it's ideally it's not perfect, but um, once you look at the whole thing, it makes sense. And now here's where we get the title of the episode: the Southwest would have <laughs> the Astros, the Royals, the Cardinals, and the Rangers. So two teams from Texas and two teams from Missouri. So the Cubs and the Cardinals would no longer be in the same division.
0: Well, I guess um, that's disappointing, um, but they're still going to play each other. It's just a question of, are they going to play four times? Are they going to play six times? And my how guess many is, times would you play my, each other?
1: My guess is when you play out a division, you would do one home and one away. So, so it would six, be so six.
0: six or four. Okay.
1: Yeah, six or seven, some, something I mean, around you know, there. The one
0: thing about that, though, that kind of gets us you know, to like the Cubs-Sox rivalry where I think when they play four to six times a year i think that's just
1: about right well you're going to see a lot more of it because that's where we have the midwest league where the cubs would be the white Sox would be the brewers and the twins so as as you kind of take a look at this it would (laughs) that's a really
0: fun division i mean that that seems like a really competitive
1: fun division you, and the thing that's interesting is that the Cubs fans are Cubs are hated by White Sox fans and Brewers fans. They share that together, that hatred of the Cubs. But again, they don't have to play each other much, and that may change once things start to get competitive. But on the flips, and then and and then you know the Twins and Cub fans kind of I think get along pretty well. So all in all, it, it's an interesting concept. It's it's not the worst idea in the world as long as teams are spending money but you know I think about you know Dustin when we talk about how we kind of remember things for you and I growing up the biggest rivalry was always Cubs Cardinals right Cubs Cardinals Cubs Cardinals but you know a lot of times when I would talk to my dad who's an older Cub fan you know from the 1950s and 60s Cub fan they really disliked the Mets more than I dislike the Mets. Absolutely right. You know, so when we talk about 69
0: Cubs hate the Mets,
1: right. And the fact is you used to play the Mets a lot more because they would be in the NL East with the Cubs. So it was just kind of this natural rivalry that occurred. So it's, it's, I think it's a cool idea. I don't know. I mean, we are creatures of habit, Dustin. So I don't particularly know if, if we would be okay with this. It's, It's just so much change. Um, you know, I would say that all in all, it it comes down to, you know, these new rivals that would form. But again, it there has to be a floor for these teams to spend to constantly make it so that that all teams are trying this idea of tanking. And in the last um, in the last CBA, they tried to address that. Like you don't, if you finish last, you don't automatically get the first pick in the draft. But even then, Dustin, it's like, you know, the first pick isn't a guarantee. You just want to be in the top five. You know what I mean? And, and and that's kind of occasionally there's a consensus like Bryce Harper. There was no doubt Bryce Harper or even Chris Bryant. But if you think about Chris Bryant, his, his career isn't exactly what we thought it would turn out to be. So, I mean, they, they're doing some things to address that. But let me ask you, Dustin, about this idea of every team playing each other because we, we're dealing with this. For the first time ever in the history of baseball, all 30 teams will play each other on the schedule. Are you excited about that? Not excited about that? Where are you at on that?
0: I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with, I hate when they don't open with natural rivals. I I don't like, I don't want the Cubs opening up against the A's, as an example. That, that doesn't make it, you know, when you're opening up in quote-unquote interleague play, I, I think that's stupid. You, you don't necessarily have to open up with somebody from your division, but you better be opening up against National League teams. That only makes sense to me. But I think it's good for the fans that, you know, at some point, you're going to get to see every team. Every team's going to come to your city. And I think that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, and and, and, and to your, what you're saying, I, I agree with that, right? Is that be smart. I think MLB always has done a pretty crummy job of scheduling this, right? So right now, this year, 52 total games against divisional opponents down from 76, right? So I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with like from 76, that's a lot of games to play against each other to 52. 52 is still plenty of games to play each other, right? So when you talk about the interleague this year, there's 64 total games, right? 32 home and 32 away. Um, So it's actually uh, down from 66. So teams will play six games against six league opponents and seven games against four league opponents. So it changes a little bit here, but I am, you know, it's, it's, I look at this and I say to myself, okay, the one thing that is very cool is that you, you get to see players, like for me, it's, when I look at the schedule, one of the things I always look at are who are the divisional teams. So, I mean, you may have to wait like six years, right? And the previous way, it used to always be uh, you would face either the AL East, the AL Central, or the AL West, right? So you would see a team like, you know, if you got to see Shohei Otani, if you're a Cub fan and you want to see him at Wrigley Field, you'd see them like once every six years, right? Right, and that's not,
0: that doesn't work. Right, that's a bad, that's a bad.
1: So I don't have a problem with this. What I do think MLB should really be focused on, and this comes down to the schedule, like you said, I think teams should always open up against divisional opponents. That should be something that happens. It's hard to do that now with what, five teams in each? Right. So you can't really do that, but at least have four teams in the division playing against each other. And I think you have to balance the schedule out with division opponents. I think you should start with division opponents. I think you should play them right around, right before or after the All-Star break. And I think you should play them at the end of the season and then fill in everything else in between. That's how, if I was in charge of the schedule, that's what I would look at doing.
0: Crowley, I totally, totally agree with you. This is Season 2, Episode 10, the end of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry, say it isn't so. In this segment of the show, Crowley sits down with Tommy Myers, better known as Full Count Tommy, to discuss Cubs spring training, non-roster invitees.
1: Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, we have Tommy Myers, or as you all know him, Full Count Tommy. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm good, Crowley. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited. I'm counting down the days till my trip to Mesa. And this week, the Cubs announced that they will be bringing 32 non-roster players to spring training. Tommy, can you do me a favor and just kind of tell the listeners what that means, that that concept of non-roster invitee?
2: For sure. Yeah, essentially, it's guys who are not currently on the 40-man roster that get an invite to spring training. Um, it doesn't guarantee them anything. Just gives them a shot to to be in big league camp and a shot to to make the club out of spring.
1: Right, and so the, the Cubs have been, you know, out of these players, there's going to be some pretty interesting names out of here, and I, I thought you'd be a good guy to talk to to kind of break down who people should be looking at if they're also going out to spring training or the fact that Marquis is pretty much broadcasting every game, so maybe some names to kind of be paying attention to. When we look at the pitchers, um, I think there's 17 that were invited to spring training Uh, You got right-handers Nick Birdie, Denise Correa, Tyler Duffy, Jordan Holloway, Ben Leeper, Mark Leiter Jr., Nick Naderet, Vinny Natoli, Manny Rodriguez, and Cam Sanders. As far as the lefties, you got Ryan Barucki, Ronis Elias, Bailey Horn, Anthony Kaye, Brandon Little, Braylon Marquez, and Eric Stout. Okay, when we're looking at those pitchers, who are some names that kind of jump out to you when you saw the list?
2: Yeah, the first thing that kind of stands out overall, and it's it's interesting because the Cubs don't have a lot of velocity and kind of the projected pen, is there's a lot of velocity in these non roster invites. There's a lot of guys that that crank it up to mid to upper nineties. A um, couple of them, Nick or Nick Birdie, Danny's Correa, Jordan Holloway, Manny Rodriguez, Cam Sanders, Braylon Marquez are all guys that sit 95 plus. Um, of those guys, probably. Jordan Holloway might have the best chance to crack in um I don't think any of those guys have a great chance to crack the bullpen out of spring but it's still some really interesting arms a mix of of guys that have been in their system and Denise Correa and Cam Sanders and obviously Braylon Marquez and then guys that they've kind of brought in from elsewhere um Jordan Holloway's from the Marlins and then Nick Birdie's an interesting story he was actually up he pitched for the Pirates at one point has had a lot of trouble with injuries and he was actually a minor league rule five selection for the Cubs this year, which essentially just means they pluck him from another team. And unlike the major league rule five, he gets to stick around no matter what. So he's an interesting name on that list if he's healthy.
1: Yeah. Now Cam Sanders is related to former Cubs pitcher, Scott Sanders. And I do know that there was a lot of buzz when, you know, when when you do, when you're talking about the rule five draft, I thought a lot of people thought that Cam Sanders was as good as gone, but he's still here. So that's gotta be good for the Cubs.
2: Yeah. He's kind of a, a plug and play reliever at this point. He's been left off just kind of a numbers game because the Cubs do have so many upper minors relievers at this point. Um, But he switched to the bullpen kind of late last year, full time and was, you know, 96 to 98, like touching a hundred at times out of the bullpen. His command's a little iffy, so that's probably what holds him back. and It's probably what other teams saw and why they didn't end up plucking him in the Rule 5, but he's a guy who has a legit shot to get innings in the big leagues this year, so he's definitely a name to keep an eye on.
1: Now, Manny Rodriguez, you know, we saw him up in Chicago last year, and I've been watching him for a few years. I saw him at the alt site in Schaumburg, but something was off last year. didn't look like his velocity was really there. I mean, was he pitching maybe injured or something, or what do you think was going on with Manrod?
2: Yeah, I forget exactly what the injury was, but he did have an arm injury earlier in the season, and then he came back, and his, his velocity was down, I think, a tick and a half, maybe two miles an hour. Or so he's a guy who doesn't have great command, but it's a good fastball, good slider, but he's got to have a little bit of command, and he's got to pitch it at 96 to 98 if he's going to be effective. If he's at, you know, 94, 95, it's just not going to play as well. So hopefully he had a good off season, came back healthy, um, worked out all offseason, and he's ready to come back pumping
1: popping up her nineties. Yeah. And you know, if you ever look at his Instagram, the dude does nothing, but it looks like workout. So, you know, you, you know, he's into it, but, but I, I find it interesting because some of these guys that are here, uh, Manny, uh, Mark Leiter jr. Who cup fans know from last year and Anthony K they were DFA during the winter, obviously when they make a, uh, you're making your 40 man roster crunch and you're having to make decisions. So maybe these guys kind of, you know, try to prove something. I don't know. I mean, obviously they want to make it, but, you know, it's got to be weird to kind of realize, okay, you're DFA'd, and then now you're back. I know Mark Leiter Jr. tested free agency, minor league free agency, and it didn't go so well.
2: Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I know Anthony K. had a good tweet where he um, he went to the convention and then was DFA'd like a week later, so he got to experience that, and then they they sent him packing. But it's nice to have all three guys stick around the organization. You can never have too much depth in the bullpen. Um, and Leiter is a guy who. I think they kind of, they DFA'd him because he didn't have any options left and they kind of wanted that flexibility on the 49 roster. Um, but I think they're pretty happy to keep around. He was, you look at the overall stat line and it's maybe not that great last year, but it's skewed by a couple starts that he made. His time in the bullpen was actually awesome. It was, I think he had like a two upper twos ERA and like a 30% K rate. Um, he was great in the pen. And I think he's probably the guy on this list who has the best shot of making the roster out of the spring.
1: Now I talked to another famous Tommy, Tommy Birch uh, from the Des Moines Register, and you know he was talking about guys that are probably going to start in AAA. and the, I, I asked him, you know, you know who on who's not on this list but you're still kind of curious. I think he had like a you know top five is like Mervis and 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 uh, Brennan Davis and all these guys, and and the, he said the one guy I'm most interested in right now is is Braylon Marquez. He said still you know it's just if you think about it, Tommy, he, he was him and Miguel Amaya at one time. were like the two golden childs of the uh, prospect organization. And because of injuries and other issues, you know, they've kind of just gotten lost in the shuffle with this new next wave of talent that's come through. But Braylon is a guy, you know, just you always look at him and you say, if, if he can just stay healthy, it's one of those type of guys, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, anytime you see a guy who can throw 99 from the left side, you're going to be interested. Um, I think there's been a lot of mystery, at least from the outside about his shoulder and kind of how he's been able to come back. So I think it's just one of those things where he, he's almost truly starting from scratch with the Cubs. Right. And then they're just going to have him show up in spring. Hopefully he's in good shape and, and see what he looks like. Um, like you said, I think he does head to Iowa if, if he's healthy and just kind of see, see what's going. But I mean, we all saw what he did in, in 20, I think it was 2019 at this point. Yeah. Um, and it was it was electric stuff he didn't command it very well not outing against the white Sox. or i think he walked like five guys but he in the minors that year was absolutely amazing so i think it's 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 cool to have him still around and see what he can do but yeah i think he went from being the top guy and i'm not even sure he's necessarily a top 40 prospect in the cub system anymore and it's a little bit of combo of the <laughs> talent they have and then also just how fall he's uh, how far he's fallen
1: Okay, so in addition to the pitchers that we talked about, you have seven infielders and five outfielders, and it really is an interesting group of the, you know, just kind of, you know, backup in case of emergency break last type of guys and guys that are some of the top prospects in the Cubs system. For the infielders, you got Sergio Alcantara, David Bodie, Matt Mervis, Esteban Kairos, uh, Chase Strumpf, Andy Weber, and Jared Young. We've seen some of these guys up here. Uh, Sergio Alcantara, everyone remembers the infamous David Bodie Ultimate Slam, Esteban Kairos. uh, You know, these are guys that, you know, if if they're up in the major leagues, that means there's been a big problem on this Cubs team, right?
2: Yeah, I think they've one of the things that stands out this year is there, there aren't necessarily a lot of top prospects in the bats they have in the list. Obviously Matt Mervis is one of their top guys. And then Pete Crow Armstrong at the outfielders is one of their top guys. But I think in years past, you would have seen a lot more of the guys you see on top prospect lists invited to camp. Uh, This year they've got some 40 man depth already, but then I think they've just got a couple like interesting veteran depth guys. Um, You know, I think obviously David Bodie's still around. I think he can provide something off the bench if you need him. Um, the rest of these guys, I think, are, are pretty good AAA depth. Chase Strumpf is the guy for me. Who's really, I'm really interested to see how he handles this year. He's kind of an interesting story where he came into pro ball out of college as a guy who made a ton of contact, maybe didn't have a ton of power, and that kind of switches flipped completely. He's now a guy who hits for a ton of power at second and third base, but he strikes out at 35 like percent clip. So it's, he's got to bring that down a little bit, but I think he's got the versatility and I think the bat can play if that carry just comes down a little bit.
1: Yeah. Chase, Chase Trump. And and you mentioned Matt mash Mervis. I mean, that has got to be to me, Tommy, one of the most unique stories in a while, like just a guy that, Really didn't do much in Myrtle Beach, you know, he was undrafted out of Duke, and then all of a sudden just has the most unbelievable season last year, going through South Bend all the way to AAA, into the AFL, and just hitting home runs everywhere he goes. Uh, You know, obviously, you you, you know, there may be some holes in his swing, who knows what last year was, but it's going to be really interesting to see Matt Mervis and see if he can continue it up this year in 2023.
2: Yeah, I was listening to uh, the Baseball America guys talk today and they were essentially saying after the 2021 season at Myrtle, like the Cubs had essentially written him off. And it's just he's he's an organ guy now. Like, don't really worry about it. If he pops up, he pops up. And then last year, he, you know, goes on a tear. And it wasn't just that he went on a tear it was the way he did it, too. Right. Like every time he jumped up a level, his K rate went down, which never happens. Um, so it was. Obviously it was an amazing year for him, um, and it's I'm interested to see how he repeats. Um, I think the Cubs did a really good job of you know adding Hosmer, adding Mancini so there's not this pressure for Mervis out of spring. I think in other seasons, you would have seen him and be like, hey, he would have thought I have to have a huge spring to make this team and I'm gonna put all this pressure on myself. I think with the roster they've built now, it's just he can go at his own pace and when they feel he's ready, he can come up regardless of who else is on the roster. so I think he's I think a lot of that pressure is off him and he can just go out there and play baseball and continue to build on what he did last year.
1: Yeah. We had Brennan Davis on the podcast one time and we were talking about, he was playing, this was in uh, with the taxi squad in South Bend in 2020. And he was just, and he was just talking about, you know, just was an opportunity to work on things, you know, against really good pitchers. There's a lot of good pitchers at that camp at the time. Uh, you know, I want to say, uh, you know, Justin Steele and, and, and some of those guys were up there and he was facing them It was just be- really good talent. And he's like, but when you don't have to worry about the numbers, when you're not looking up and having to see the scoreboard display and the home runs or the batting average. And the one thing I try to tell people is is that, like, you know, Tommy, you know hitting at Wrigley Field in April and May is not a lot of fun. You know, balls that should easily be home runs are just caught effortlessly by outfielders. So, you know, just let Mervis chill, see what he does, see how he does. And if he really is what we expect him to hopefully be, then you call them up in the, when it's June or July in Chicago when the ball starts popping off the bat a little bit more, and then you really have some fun. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it's good problems to have, right? You build that depth, and so you don't – it's what the Dodgers have done for years, right? You don't have to count on young guys. You just kind of let them matriculate as as they're ready, um, and that's when those guys – that's how they've had guys like Gavin Lux and Walker Bueller and like those guys come up. They don't rush them up and make them play when they're not ready. They just – they have – them force their way onto the major league roster. And I think that's what the Cubs are doing with Mervis.
1: Right. And they, they don't have to be the star. They don't have to carry anything. They're just yep. guys. They're just fun. So when we look at the outfielders, there's uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, Ben DeLucio, Darius Hill, Jonathan Peralza, and Mike Talkman. Now everybody knows the, the initials PCA, although I think we should start calling you F- FCT. But um, <laughs> with, with PCA, you know, the, the big buzz was that, that score that he got, I think it was baseball perspectives as far as his fielding I mean absolutely ridiculous what did they say his glove was 90 or something like that
2: yeah so on a, on a 20 to 80 scale he got an 80 glove which is essentially the best the best grade you can get
1: just unreal and so it'll be I mean I no one expects PCA to make the team but just just good to get him in his first camp and competitive but there's a name in, in this group for me I guess is, is when I would talk you know to uh, Mick Gillespie over from Tennessee the name he kept saying over and over again was Darius Hill Darius Hill and with this glut of talent that the Cubs have especially in outfield Darius Hill's kind of a name that just kind of gets overlooked a lot you know
2: yeah I think it's it's hard for guys like Darius Hill because they don't necessarily show a lot of power in the minor leagues and I think that's one of the the things you look at like does that translate when you go up to the big leagues I think that's that's the biggest question for Hill but I mean, he led the minor leagues in hits last year for the Cubs. I mean, the guy the guy hit wherever he went. I think he's got a lot of Tommy Lastella to his game. You even watch his swing, and it kind of looks really similar. He's got the high leg kick, and he's got similar swing uh, aesthetically. So I think that's the guy I would compare him to, and you just have to kind of hope that he has enough power to where it becomes, you know, instead of little pop-ups or flares, they end up being hard base hits. So I think it's just seeing what he does, I think he's got a shot to get some innings in the big leagues this year, if there's an injury or if someone goes down, I think Darius Hill could be next man up um, just because I think he's probably the most ready in terms of how advanced his bat is. But I think it's just seeing if it'll transition at the next
1: level. And what do you, you, what are you hoping to see out of Jonathan Peralta this season?
2: Yeah, I think this continuing what he did last year, he was good for both sides of the plate last year. Um, he can hit, I don't know if he has a position, um, I think he might be more DH than anything else, but I think just they obviously I think they gave him a pretty priority minor league deal in the offseason to keep him around in the organization. So I think they just want to see if he hits in Iowa and then potentially hits in Chicago. I think he's one of those guys, um <laughs> similar name, but you know, Hendrick Pinango in South Bend is a similar profile, right? Where he just kinda he's kinda hits like no matter what like where he's at. Um so I think just giving him another shot and they have the depth that they don't necessarily need to count on him, but just have be some organizational depth.
1: Now I got to tell you, Tommy, you know, I'm a meatball and, and I've just been so super excited about the minor leagues, you know, and I keep telling people, Hey man, the future looks bright. Future looks bright, but I've been watching lately. Like, you know, I I check certain guys. You're one of the guys I check with to give myself a temperature check. Am I seeing things? But like when I see you kind of expressing some confidence, I feel better. I'm like, okay, then it's not just my cub rose tinted glasses. I've seen you getting in a little bit of arguments with people about the depth of this system. And, and, you know, I think it was rated 10th the other day. And I, I think people kind of are, are missing what makes this farm team so special when you look at this team, what is it about the farm system that impresses you the most?
2: Yeah, I think, and you know, they're in that six to 10 range in systems. I don't think there's a couple like really elite farm systems in baseball. I think Baltimore and Arizona are two of the teams, um, even the Dodgers now still, um, but I think the Cubs kind of follow that next tier because they, they have all the depth there. They just don't necessarily have those really, really high end talents that top like 10 prospect in baseball. Um, I think they have guys who can make that leap, but they're not quite there yet. Um, and I think it's a lot of guys too, who are kind of pop-up candidates who just need to show it again. Like had great years last year. Porter Hodge is one guy I think who was great last year. Um DJ Hers can continue to build off what he's done. Um, Daniel Palencia was fantastic last year. I think there's a lot of those guys who were never real, like huge prospects, but just guys that can continue to build on what they did last year who can then make that leap into, you know, top 150, top 200 prospects. And I think one of the things, too, that a lot of people see is they just look at top 100 lists, right? Um, and, you know, the Cubs have been placing two or three guys on top 100 lists. But then you look at Kylie McDaniel with ESPN dropped his uh, farm rankings today and he had nine Cubs in his top 150. Um, and so essentially there's there's really not that much difference between a 100th ranked prospect and 150th ranked prospect. A lot of time they'll have the same scouting scale grade. It's just kind of organizing how you want to as you're as you're doing those rankings. So I think a lot of people just focus solely on that top 100. I think it makes sense. Like there, there's definitely that lack of true elite prospects in the Cubs system, but I think they have built a ton of depth and guys that continue to improve and potentially make that extra leap.
1: And and you know the, the one thing that I, I talked to a couple of the coaches, uh, hitting coaches for the Cubs, the minor league hitting coaches. And they said, you know what, we, we may not be, you know, we may fall in that 10 to six, but don't forget how young a lot of our players are. And so as they develop, as they mature, you're going to see the Cubs move up in those rankings.
2: Yeah. I think there's three names that just stand out with exactly what you mentioned, like Kevin Alcantara, what he did last year at 19 in Myrtle beach with it, which is absolute hell on hitters, especially hitters that like to go gap to gap. Like he, I think had 19 home runs in Myrtle beach last year as a 19 year old, um, which is just absolutely absurd. And then James Triantos in Myrtle beach as well. I think that's a park that specifically hurts him because he doesn't necessarily have huge power, but he really likes to spray the ball over the field. So like balls that would, you know, potentially be home runs in right center and left center in other parks are not going out in Myrtle. Uh, then the other guys, Owen Casey in South Bend, they, they challenged him last year at 19 to go to South to go to high a and had just about as bad of an April as you could possibly have. And from May on was absolutely awesome. So I think there's three guys that are just continuing to grow. I think both Triantos and Alcantara, I think we can potentially see them explode in South Bend. Just getting out of Hurdle Beach helps a lot. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of youth in the system. Even Pecor Armstrong is, what, 20 years old, and he'll probably start the year at A Tennessee. So I think there's just a lot of youth that's just coming up still.
1: Now, Tommy, when you when you sit there, one of the things that I kind of feel is I feel like the drafting has been better and and the player development, like both sides of that. Have you noticed that as well?
2: The player development, especially on the pitching side, is what's really stood out to me. I think they've done a really awesome job of not not being cookie cutter with guys. Like I know there's been a lot of talk about certain pitch qualities they like. They like to teach the sweeper slider for certain guys, but I think they've been really good at customizing development plans for all the pitchers. Um, like you see this, whether it's um, Daniel Palencia or DJ hers or
1: Porter Hodge
2: or any of those guys, they've just been on different paths or even Jordan Wicks, right? Like he picks up a slider last year and, and the ERA may not look great. Cause some of the defense behind him wasn't fantastic, but his strikeout to walk numbers last year and his first pro season were, were fantastic. So I think there's, they've done a really good job of just, almost developing in bulk the arms right i think there's going to be like i know theo used to talk about wave after wave of talent like it truly feels like that's what they built with arms like we obviously saw justin Steele and keegan thompson last year and hayden westesky at the end of the year but i think we're going to see guys like ben brown come up this year jordan wicks and then right behind them you've got you know dj hers and porter hodge and all those guys so i think it's going to be like truly a wave after wave of talent when it comes to arms
1: so funny because you think about that the, that that core team from 2015 to 2020, and that was the one thing they couldn't develop arms. And now all of a sudden, you're looking at that system, and it's filling up pretty good. So, like I said, I'm 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 happy. I, I think that there, you know, when you think a look at the minor leagues last year, and you had three teams in the postseason. Uh, Tennessee was one win away from the championship, and South Bend wins the championship, and all those guys are essentially going to be there again. Just one. You know, maybe one level up or something. It's it's gonna be fun to see what the Cubs do this year in the minor league systems. Yeah, I think a
2: lot of it is you wanna see the minor league systems popping, but also the big league team being good, right? Like that's what the Dodgers and Cardinals and six Rays, like a successful organization, have done for years. And I think it kind of looks bad when you're the Cubs right now and fans are just focusing solely on the minor league system, but I think And as they build the big league team up, like I think there's no harm in focusing on how good the minor league systems become. You can also then hope that they build a big league winner and do both at the same time. So I don't think it's either, I don't think it's either or at all.
1: Absolutely. And I think you're starting to see that balance with the 2023 Cubs. It's going to be a lot more fun. Plus the fun you're going to have in the minor league system. I just think it's going to be fun to be a Cubs fan. So I appreciate you jumping on here tonight, Tommy. I know I'll see you around the ballpark. And maybe we we head down to South Bend and check a couple of these guys out. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think we were already talking about doing a trip. So uh, I think maybe a nice cold April South Bend game would be pretty fun.
1: Uh, yeah, it sounds good, Tommy. I look forward to having you on again, and you take care.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me, Carly.
0: You're listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This is season two, episode number 10. We're calling this one the end of the Cubs Cardinals rivalry. Let's hope not. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Crowley, earlier in the week, we got uh, some news that everybody's into. We've already got the schedules. We know who's coming to Wrigley, we know when they're coming to Wrigley, but now we know what promotional goodies
1: you're gonna get when you go out to Wrigley. If you are a geek like me about stadium giveaways, <laughs> otherwise known as SGA's, this is Christmas for you. Get your, pe- what a Pat Piper used to say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, get your pencils and scorecards out as I read you the promotional schedule. Yes, this is what I do, Dustin. When I sit there and I get the schedule, I put it down, I take a look like I like we talked about in segment 1. Oh, the Oakland A's are coming. I haven't seen the Cubs play the A's a lot. I'd like to see them. I look at oh, Shohei's coming to town. I got to see that. I want to see the teams and the players I don't get a chance to see all the time. But the other big draw for me is the giveaways. And so this is going to be they they dropped it earlier this week, actually yesterday, and 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 Lately, the Cubs have been the last team to to release their promotional items. It used to be at Cubs convention, they would give you a pocket calendar and you could see all the promos. That would be the first time that that. you would know about it. I used to pick it up at the the Dominics. (laughs) Yeah. And so CubsCon was the first place it would drop, and everybody would look at it and freak out. We didn't know when it was going to drop, and when it did, oh, boy, were tongues wagging. Just to kind of show the listener again, uh, I can't really show it to you, but if you I'm moving my screen, I have every single Cubs bobblehead starting with the Sammy Sosa Eckridge Farm helmet in 2001, every single Cubs bobblehead ever released. And so <laughs> with, this is this. I, I literally love every giveaway, the hats, the, the, the you know, everything. And so we, we know what it's going to be. And oh, I gotta tell you, Dustin, when I saw this my I, it looked like that cartoon wolf whose eyes pop out and the tongue rolls out of his mouth. the there are different kinds of giveaways, and we're gonna have to be clear, okay? So there is the traditional um, stadium giveaways. When you talk about the stadium giveaways, those are for the first ten thousand fans to show up. The goal is to get the fans in there buying plenty of uh, beer, plenty of hot dogs, all that fun stuff. You want to get fans in the gates early. So some teams, you know, release 30, 45,000, you know, 40,000 bobbleheads with the Cubs, first 10,000. So you have got to get in there. And so as I kind of were taking a look at it, the they have different kind of categories, and I'll kind of go through them here. But the one that everybody's looking at right now are the Statue bobbleheads. So this year, we know with the Fergie statue, the statue row, what the Cubs are doing, right? Everybody assumed, myself included, that they were going to release a replica of the Fergie Jenkins statue because they've done that over the year with every statue. But no, they are bobble statues. They look exactly like... The statues out in front of at Statue Row, which Lucella, he's the sculptor. We had him on Fly the W. But they just look phenomenal. The Ernie Banks statue, the Santo, the Williams, the uh, new Fergie statue. And the Harry Carey one's the one I thought looked least cool. But the other ones look absolutely stunning. And so those are going to be a very, very hot item. Saturday, May 6th, Fergie Jenkins. Saturday, May twenty seven, Billy Williams. Wednesday, June 19th, Ernie Banks. Sunday, August 20th, the Ron Santos statue. And then Saturday, September 9th, finishes up the statue row, even though Harry's not in statue row, but the statue row of um, the bobbleheads. What did you think? I got to know because, you know, obviously I'm – like you said, I'm, I am I am exactly the mark for these guys. I'm the sucker that's going to go to every game to get the bobblehead. What did you think, Dustin, when you saw the bobbleheads?
0: I mean, as far as the bobbleheads go, I, I would agree that um, the Harry one doesn't look as cool. But if I could only get one, that's the one I would want. And maybe that's like, what? But, I, that, I you know, from a, somebody that works in the media, I, I grew up, we grew up with Harry Carey. Um, I, I, that, that's where I would go. Harry Carey would be my guy.
1: And they also have other gate giveaways, things that are going to be happening over over the time here. Um, City Connect is obviously going to be popular. um, But on opening day, on opening day, the Cubs used to give away magnet schedules. They aren't doing that anymore, but what they're doing is they're having a special opening day pin. So that's March 30th versus Milwaukee. I thought the pin looks really sharp. And then you have a lot of City Connect stuff start to happen. You got the... um, picnic blankets. You have the winter hat, which it's funny because those always kind of tend to be really, really helpful uh, in the beginning of those April, <laughs> those cold April
0: games. I thought that blanket was actually pretty good too, the City Connect.
1: Yeah, and then they, they have the uh, London Series luggage tags. I don't know if we have it in the budget to go to London, but uh, if you are going to London, that would be pretty cool to have. Um, they're going to have a fanny pack uh, May 28th. The Hawaiian shirt's the traditional uh, giveaway on July 17th. And then they've been doing this last few years with uh, replica jerseys. So on September eighth, they're doing a replica City Connect, which um, always, like I said, they're they're one size fits all. They're okay. They're not they're not the worst. They're not the best, but uh, pretty cool. Now, the one thing that the Cubs really jacked up this year, which is something they started, God, I'm trying to remember what year it was. If I looked at my bobbleheads, it was about 2014, I believe. 2014 they had the first ever special event ticket. So you have to buy a special ticket. Like, I'm a season ticket holder. I don't have access to that. I have to buy that separate, okay? But the first one they ever had was for um, Star Wars night, and it was an Anthony Rizzo Jedi bobblehead, which right now is one of the most valuable Cubs bobbleheads that you could purchase. So those special event tickets that they're going to have right now, this is going to make some of our listeners feel old. Rookie of the Year 30th Anniversary Day. They have a Henry Rowan Gardner bobblehead. For those of you who remember the Rookie of the Year movie, I'm sure he's going to sing the stretch because he always does that. Next up, uh, one thing that's interesting, Star Wars night. Uh, Last year they just did a Mandalorian that really had no Cubs connection. This year they have Nico Horner looking like Luke Skywalker with (laughs) with a lightsaber. So Nico gets a bobblehead second year in a row. Um, They have a NASCAR night, which has Clark waving the NASCAR checkered flag, wearing a uniform, and then a Marvel superhero night, which is a Loki one, which really has nothing to do with baseball, similar to the Mandalorian one next year. But no, the Cubs are not done. They're going to have WWE night with Clark the Cub dressed up as Hulk Hogan in the traditional yellow and reds. Love it. Sesame Street day with Elmo in full Cub regalia with a W flag. Hispanic heritage celebration with a sugar skull bobblehead playing a guitar. And then in honor of grateful dead night, the grateful dead, the, um, right now it's called dead and company. They are playing their final tour. They will be making a stop at Wrigley field. I will be there to watch really the final
0: f- tour, the, the, the final, final tour, or just the final tour
1: or the, um, the
0: final, until we say it's not the final tour.
1: Right. On, I think, How many
0: finals are they going to have? <laughs>
1: I don't know, but I'll be there, I'm, I'll be there. But they are going to have a Grateful Dead Knight with five variations of the bobblehead. So if you are super obsessed, yes, I'm talking about myself. If you are super obsessed, you must have one of each color, okay? So when you get the ticket, you get like a blue one, you put down the color that you want. But if you want them all, there's five variations you're going to have to have. Now. One other thing. Now, about what do you start stadium? doing, Crowley?
0: You start negotiating with people in the stands. How do you? How do you get that done?
1: Oh, I got my ways, Dustin. Don't worry, I got all my right. ways. We're we're already you don't planning. Don't want to share, huh? You don't want to share. We are we are planning this out. I actually got something cool that I think I'll share at a different time once it's all said and done. But uh, it, it's a pretty cool thing I got going on. That that if this works out, I don't want I don't want to say anything and watch it flop. So, I also have a bunch of people that are depending on me. So I'm not going to say any more than that. But uh, join right. the Cubs All group right. on Facebook. I've seen, you,
0: I've seen you with your group.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Cubs group, C-U-B-S, Cubs group. Uh, we're on Facebook, and we have over a 1,000 members, and people are swapping and selling stadium giveaway stuff. I'm telling you guys, I got a problem. I got an addiction. But now the one thing that is kind of cool is that if you are a ble- bleacher creature, they have special hats this year. And the hats are – um special only for people with bleacher tickets. So if you're in the general bowl, you do not get these. And so um, they're going to be, uh, you have to be 21 and older because Budweiser is a sponsor of this. And so just be aware if you're interested in getting these hats and you can find them on the Cubs website by the tickets, you have to be in the bleachers. So Dustin, taking a look at these hats, I I mean, I I know that there is a segment of people that think they look pretty cool. I am not, uh, I I guess I'm getting old. I like my hats with a bent brim and and normal cub colors. These are very pastel, um, but I do like the logos. They have the 1914 logo, the cub holding the bat, kind of upside down-ish. They have a very interesting 1934 alternate logo, which is one of the bear with his hands up, throat getting ready, winding up in the pitch which isn't one that you really notice that often. Um, The 1977 cap, that's when the Angry Bear came around, which is my favorite logo that we usually associate with the 80s. You have the 1994 cap. Those of you that remember the Cubs jerseys that looked like it was uh, spelling out Cuba, uh, that's that very weird logo that you don't really see that often. They only used it for a couple of years. And then the 1997 cap, which is a gray cap, so... All in all, like I said, some pretty good, uh, I know people are going to be interested in that. So we'll see what happens. Um, but those are only, like I said, for bleacher tickets. So, you know, Dustin- Only bleachers kinda, and only Fridays, right? Only Fridays and you have to be 21. So I don't want people going there disappointed that, you know, if they're 16, 17 and you're listening to this, you can't do it uh, unless you find somebody nice like my Tai guy who's willing to kind of sneak you a hat or something. But- um, I, I would definitely say, Dustin, that spring is in the air, man. It is ju- just every every one of these milestones that we reach, whether it's um, you know, pitchers and catchers reporting, which is happening very soon, whether it's, you know, the promo schedule, all of these things just mean baseballs around the corner and it, it cubs baseball more particularly. And I can't be more excited right now.
0: Yeah, right around the corner. No doubt about that, Crowley. There is no doubt about that. All right, Crowley, I guess that's a wrap until uh, later this weekend. We're wrapping up uh, season two, episode 10. And uh, the Cubs and Cardinals rivalry may be in doubt if you believe what uh, Jim Bowden was proposing.
1: And, and, and I talked to Dustin, and he was nice enough to say that we're going to record on Sunday at 3 p.m. because he's got nothing better going on, so we could talk a lot of baseball, nothing else going on. So uh, we will have a podcast ready to drop on Monday, so just be ready. But in the meantime, make sure you follow the socials, fly the W670 on Instagram and Twitter, Fly the W on Facebook, and you can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com and go Cubs. It's all over.